Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Uno, dos, uno, dos. Great, uno, so start off with my tres, name is. Cuatro. Okay, my name is Paula Gillum. Claudia Yatskin. Crystal Black. Aurelio Falconi. David Jimenez. Eddie Daniel Aguilar Ramos. Alex Sanchez Bressler. Daitza. Daniela Lopez. Juan Pablo Gonzalez. Lizette Clifton. Elizabeth Barahona. Annabelle Maya. Maria Carrasco. Jessica Mencia. Jair Ovalle. Maria Paula Ochoa. Simone Singleton. Catalina Berenblum Tobi. Naira Inez Warren. Norma de Jesus. Samantha Garza. Lilian Guadalupe Bravo. Carlos Barrero Castelo. And that's it. Wow, that was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, oh my God, I'm just going to replay that every day before I go to sleep. This is Eliza Moreno. And Chandler Phillips. And you're listening to Mezcla de Melanina. Um, so this is the first part of a three-part series um, in which we'll be exploring the diversity of Latinidad through stories, through photos, through all of that. But first off, we want to talk about what is this site that you're in. Um, so both of us are the co-founders of The Bridge, uh, which is a site that celebrates the talents of Black and Latina women. So. So, um, I'm Latina. Uh, my mom is from Mexico and my dad is from El Salvador. And um, I was born and raised in LA. And I am black. Ayo. Uh, my mom's from Trinidad and my dad's from Georgia. So, I was born and raised there. And, like, we, we felt this need, Chandler and I. Um, you know, the black and Latinx women, like, barely get any representation. Um, and when you do see us being represented, they're, you know, offensive mm-hmm. depictions. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's stereotypes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's oversexualizations. So There's dehumanizing on so many levels. Um, and so we were just sort of, you know, upset and, like, tired of it. It's just so tired. Yes, um, yes. Tired of it. And knew that there were so many um, just talented women around us. So why not showcase, like, all that they are, this holistic image of them and what we can do and you know whether you're looking at black women latino women um women in general oftentimes you know we we end up falling falling behind or being overshadowed by men because for for so long we weren't allowed to take up space and so you know this site is us taking up space Mm. and us saying you know like we are worth it we are wonderful we are beautiful and and yeah, here you are. <laughs> yes, and so Mezcla de Melanina is um, essentially a three-part series that we um, wanted to create in order to, you know, accentuate uh, not only the Latinx experience, but very often also, like, you know, the Afro-Latinx experience um, that sometimes isn't heard also. Uh, so the series is called, you know, Mixture of Melanin is what it translates to because there is such a variety of people who fall under the umbrella term that is Latinx here in the U.S. And, um, you know, to really document um, some of both women and men um, who take on this, uh, you know, identity. Yeah, yeah. And coming from someone who does not have Latinx roots, or at least, you know, that I know of, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so important um, to understand the stories of others. So even if I don't, um, you know, have share that same identity, um, the narratives are still important for me to know and understand, and I see how it intertwines with 
um, my experiences as a woman, as a black woman, as just a person, you know, um, you don't have to share the exact same identity with someone to know that what they're saying has worth and has value. And I think, um, as people of color in general, oftentimes, you know, your issues get, they, they get isolated and stigmatized. Like, oh, that's what that person's going through. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to listen to that Mm. song or that podcast because it doesn't, um, directly align with, with my experiences. And, you know, this is saying that's not true. Um, everything we all have to say is important. And so we're glad that you came to listen and, um, we're excited for you to hear. Um, so yes. So before we get started, last thing. So basically what you'll be hearing, um, is a combination of things. So one, it's, it's a lot of stories together and, and how they overlap and relate or juxtapose. Um, but also it's, it's longer stories and narratives where you'll be able to go through this journey and this, um, and this story with, with that individual. So it'll be clips and it'll be length and it'll be great and it'll be fun. And we're excited. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening with us, um, on, on these really, yeah, these incredible stories um, by by our friends and by people we may know and, like, people who who um, we may never really get to know. It's just really exciting. It's important to get to, you know, listen and understand and, and recognize, um, you know, the experiences of others, specifically, you know, within, within this wild climate that is our context <laughs> right now. Um, it's so important to to really understand what's underneath the surface sometimes. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Yay! <laughs> My name is Maria Carrasco. Juan Pablo Gonzalez. Jessica Mencia. Lizette Clifton. Perfect. Um, what do you identify as? Uh, Latina and Black. I identify as Mexican. Latino, international. I identify as Honduran. Honduran American sometimes, but usually Honduran. Well, I identify as a Mexican American. Yeah, because I was born in Mexico and I grew up here in the United States. When I was three years old, we moved to Houston, Texas. So I guess my culture has been kind of Tex-Mex, you could say. Um, but yeah, I think I've, I've definitely incorporated a lot of the American culture into my lifestyle and I'm kind of like holding on a little bit to the Mexican culture but it's a little bit harder. I'm very um, proud to be Mexican. I always try to uh, like make sure people know I'm like international. I'm not like Mexican-American. I'm kind of like I'm only Mexican (laughs) and I like that I love my country and I love uh, being identified as Mexican Um, I grew up in the Bronx New York and I had a a big Dominican population Um, so I was always exposed I grew up speaking Spanish I was always exposed to the culture the food Um, but I don't I I've only been back once so like although I feel very Dominican I also feel a little displaced from the culture that I, I know.
I'm actually really curious. What what is it about these experiences um, that were shared that made you want to pair them together? So, you know, it's both of our visions for this podcast to show the the diversity within Latinidad. And I thought a cool way of doing that is to juxtapose these different stories together. So you have someone who's born and raised in Mexico, but is in the States for school. Someone who was born in Mexico, but moved here very young and is grappling with keeping in touch with those roots. Another person who is Afro-Latina, um, who's always lived here, but has felt so close to to her her home country, but still distant at the same time. And so you have a lot going on um, and a lot of different history and narratives. And so throughout the podcast, you'll hear these four people, um, how their experiences complement one another and also are different from one another. And then you'll you'll hear longer stories and and go through these longer journeys um, with the people that you, Eliza, were able to talk with. <laughs> Got it. Nice. My name is Paula Gillum. Perfect. Um, what do you identify as, Paula? Um, I identify as Mexican or Mexican-American, usually. Um, I think like I was born in Mexico. I was. I don't think I was. I was born in Mexico. <laughs> I was born in Mexico, and both of my like um, birth parents are Mexican. But like my mom moved here, and then she married an American when I was really young, and like so he's also my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like growing up, you know, like people would be very much like, like where are you from, or like what are you? And it was kind of like, oh, I'm Mexican. It was never really like a Mexican American or something. Um, so I don't know. I like. I think in some ways I identify with being Mexican-American because, like, that's, like, my experience growing up in America. But usually it's more just, like, I'm Mexican. Um, But, like, with the understanding that it is a different experience than actually being from Mexico. Yeah. Wow. I mean, wow. I mean, you tackled so much nuance (laughs) already. Um, Yeah, so can you tell me a little bit more about um, your family and your roots and where you were raised and where you... Yeah. Um, Well, I was born in Mexico, in Ometepec, Mexico, um, and my mom was from Cuajiniquilapa, which is like the town right next door. And my birth dad is from Ometepec as well. Um, I lived with my mom. Well, actually, I think it's really funny because my mom didn't tell, like they had broken up. So she didn't tell him that she was pregnant and she didn't want to tell him that she was pregnant because she was like, I don't need him. Like, I'm fine. Like, you know, we're over is done. Um, but my birth dad, of course, he found out. So like, um, yeah, but I think. Yeah, so my mom, I mainly lived with my mom and my grandmother, and then when I was, like, about one, she came to the United States with me, but maybe I was, like, two, one or two. I was about two when she first came, and it was just really hard for her to take care of me and be working at the same time, um, and, like, a lot of times, like, she would leave me home by myself, which, like, you probably shouldn't do, but, like, I mean, it, it was fine. I was a pretty responsible <laughs> child, which I know is terrible to say about a two-year-old, but I was. I was, like... I mean, you know, like, she would leave me food in the fridge, and I would know to microwave it, and then, like, like I'd watch TV, and I'd make sure to keep the door locked, and I, could only, I wasn't allowed to open the door, obviously, and um, apparently there was a dude that was on house arrest <laughs> next door to me, and he would watch, like, the door to make sure, no, sure nobody would come in, because, like, what else would he do who's on house arrest? So he was just, like, so he would make sure, like, or he would, like, or call out to me, too, just to make sure, like, I was all right wow. during the day, which I think is kind of funny, but after, like, a few months of that, my mom was, like, obviously this is no way to live so she sent me back um until she could find like a stable job and stuff and so when I went back I stayed with my mom's mom and 
um my birth dad's family like they would come and like um get me for a couple of weeks and then I'd go back and they'd it was like every I think I stayed with my mom's mom for like three weeks at a time and then my birth dad's parents for like two weeks at a time um I don't really remember that of course but I remember you know that it happened apparently I have a lot of funny pictures that time and then when I was about to turn four I came to the U.S. permanently um my mom had married an American my dad and he um and my uncle my mom's brother like brought me here across the border and whatnot um and so when I got here my dad here adopted me and my birth dad was very upset about it because he didn't know like that I was being taken uh he didn't know that was happening so he was very upset but he like he had to sign the adoption papers or else like I wouldn't be able to come back and visit um because I wouldn't be able to get my citizenship or anything so I mean I was very very lucky to be adopted and to be like able to get my citizenship because I know that's something that so many like undocumented people struggle with now and like I can't imagine especially during like this time not being able to like have documents um and yeah so then after that like I mean I have American family here and I mostly stayed with my my dad here his mom and so she like taught me English because she didn't speak any Spanish and she like prepared me for school and stuff and I think that really helped me a lot she would like practice reading a lot with me and so by the time I started school like I had like a year but I was like totally good I was like like above average reading level because she really like worked with me to make sure like and again that was just so um like so fortunate for me to like have that um and so yeah it's I visited Mexico a lot when I was little I would go once or twice a year because my birth dad was very bothered that I wasn't (laughs) living you know there in Mexico with him um and I I has lots of children (laughs) but different women and uh so I had two older sisters from him and they're both from the same mom and then I have two younger brothers from him and one of them I haven't seen in like at least a decade and then the other one I've never met um, and I didn't even know about till my birth that died so yeah um, and then here through my parents here I have three younger siblings um, 14 seven and four and they're all they're all pretty funny so yeah it's and it's interesting too because like I've grown up in a mixed family and so some ways like I've gotten like a mixed experience um but like my brothers are or my brothers and sister like are actually mixed Mm -hmm. so it's um yeah I think it's really different and it's interesting how we all like I guess identify too like um because even though like my brothers are white passing they're like like Addison he like could go either way I guess but like he's very much like um I don't know, he, he's always hung out more with, like, Mexican kids or, like, Latino kids or Latinx kids, and um, I think that's more, like, strongly with how he identifies, and, like, I remember Elijah, he, he just looks entirely white, like, you wouldn't, like, he doesn't have dark hair, he has very light eyes, he has very light skin, um, he can't, like, at all, like, speak Spanish, like, or understand it, really, which is really surprising, like, he didn't understand it, because my mom, like, usually only speaks to us in Spanish, um, but yeah, so when he went, he, when he started school, he would tell kids that he was Mexican, and he and they were like, "No, you're not Mexican." And he was like, "Yeah, I am Mexican," because like my mom told me yeah. that I'm Mexican. But like, I mean, he doesn't know what that means, um, or what that means to other people, I guess. So, yeah, it's, I think it's funny and it's interesting comparing our experiences and yeah, just definitely. So, wow. Yeah. Sharing that, oh my yeah. gosh, I mean, there's so much nuance and like how yeah. you must have viewed yeah. yourself in the context, and it's such a moving context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, just uh, always different. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, what does it mean to be 
Mexican-American mm-hmm. at UNC? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, there's a lot of, well, there's, like, a relatively small, like, Latinx population here. And, like, of those Latinx people, like, I guess a really good number of them are Mexican. Um, and I think it is really different for everybody. Like, a lot of my friends that are Latinx aren't necessarily Mexican. Um, I guess some, I guess about half and half. So... I don't know. I don't know what it means at UNC. I think it's kind of, like, less common. It's, like, growing up, it was mostly, like, almost everybody I knew that was Latinx was Mexican. It was, like, not really very diverse. But here, it's, like, you know, we're still kind of a sizable population, but there are, like, fewer of us, so it's, like, not the norm. So, like, sometimes you'll be talking about something that you think is, like, a Latinx thing, and it's, like, oh, no, that's, like, everybody, right? And then, like, you're also sometimes talking about things and you're like oh I think this is a Mexican thing and people are like oh no like that's not just a Mexican thing like we do that here or you know whatever um and I think it's so it's kind of weird just being in a different um group of like Latinx people where it's not like Mexican dominant so then you're kind of having to acknowledge like the differences of experience and also um like the differences in privilege too I think like I think to some extent like um like I don't know if I would say, like, Mexican privilege, but I would say that there are certain, like, perks, if you will, to being Mexican um, versus, like, not being Mexican, and especially in comparison to, like, certain other countries, like, um, like, I know, like, there's a lot of heavy discrimination to, like, Central Americans from Mexicans, and um, I know, like, a lot of organizations around the U.S. are usually more centered or focused on Mexican issues versus, like, other countries' issues, so... I don't know, I guess it's just kind of being Mexican at UNC, um, it's, I guess, different than being Mexican in, like, a Mexican-dominated area. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so, uh, one more question, so you kind of talked about the political climate currently Mm. and how it is harder for others and, like, understanding, um, uh, the opportunity you were given in many ways, along with so many of us here, um, but... In a time where um, being Latina is continuously being questioned in terms of our belonging here, mm-hmm. how do you assert your belonging? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I guess, to me, it doesn't really... Like, I mean, I think, especially even within my own family, like, there's people that don't think that, like, Mexicans should be here, which I think is, like, really funny, um, because I'm like we're part of your family so (laughs) like we're here buddy like we're not leaving um I think in terms of belonging I don't know I guess like to me this country isn't like really like rightfully anybody's anyway so they don't really have too much of a say on like who should or shouldn't be here um and I think also I think that we have asserting like my right to be here it's like I don't even know like I just I feel like there's so much in place has happened for me to be here you know like historically and economically um and like so much of that is like the responsibility of the U.S. you know or the responsibility of colonizers or you know whatever you want to call it um but like so many so much of that has happened to put us in the situation where people are immigrating here or like um and I think too like the the idea of like oh we're just immigrants we're just looking for a better future and yeah like that's true in some ways but it's also a lot like, I know people that haven't wanted to come here permanently. Like, a lot of um, family friends have, have told me, like, you know, like, it was never our plan to be here forever. Like, it was our plan to find some work and then go back. And 
like it just gets to this point where um you know like these companies do actively go to mexico to get workers like yeah. they go there actively to un- to get workers to underpay us and to put us in the situation where people are afraid um because they could be deported because they've built families here like they have connections here and um and the way that Mexico has changed too, like my mom hasn't visited since her mother died. And, or no, she visited the year after her mother died. And after that, like once her sister moved here, like she didn't go back. And um, she's like, you know, it's changed so much. Like she's talking about her hometown, like the way that it has transformed, it's not the same hometown. And you can't, like, yes, like I'm not putting all the blame on the US as far as like drug trafficking and everything, but like who is the largest consumer of the drugs that people are you know what I mean trafficking it's it's the U.S. so it's um it's a little ridiculous to act like all this immigration is happening for no reason and also to act like people aren't trying to legally get here like people are like they mean the number of refuge like Central American and Mexican refugees that are denied is like incredible you know and people are trying to get here because there's like no nothing else to do there's nowhere else to go um and like I think it's really hard to talk about but like it's hard to explain I guess it's like you know, you can look at your town, or, like, when I went to Mexico, my uncle was telling me, um, and I was just having such a hard time phrasing it, because I speak Spanish, but, like, not well enough to, like, explain anything, and he was, like, you know, like, why do they go here, there's work here, and, like, and I was, like, yeah, you know, there is work here, but, like, I'm sure they're underpaid, because I know who works, because my birth dad's family is, like, fairly wealthy, like, they're pretty well off, and I was, like, you know, like, all of my cousins on my birth dad's side have been very lucky to go to college, like, good colleges, and to study abroad, and to learn English, um, and you're talking about just jobs, like you're talking about just work. You're not talking about like building something or creating something for yourself or creating a future for yourself. And I think it's really hard to explain to people like, like you can't create or build a future. You know what I mean? Like, can you look at your life and like you won't see something different or better or making being able to make these autonomous choices for yourself? Um, and it happens here too. And so I think like when I think about like my right to be here, it's like of course I have a right to be here because of everything that has ever happened, you know what I mean? Like, like, it all has worked for a specific reason, and, like, everybody here is, like, as far as immigrants, like, we have all come, not just, like, gracefully, like, oh, let's give this a shot. It's been, like, you know, it's been part of systems that have managed to put us in these places, and, like, the extent to which we have been used and abused and, like, manipulated for certain, or political reasons or different reasons, um, you know, I think it's my right to be able to say, like, I have a right to be here. And, like, I have, like, my own two legs to stand on. And, you know, like, what I have is mine. Um, and, like, I don't think anybody could tell me differently, you know. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that was Paula. Um, and Eliza, I don't know, like, how did that make you feel, uh, interviewing her? Yeah, it's funny, um, because I was almost taken aback by how open she was about, you know, her family, her roots, um, how she grew up, and her experiences. Uh, there really was such a continual change in, um, like, place, right? Like, she moved so often, um, and I think that is, um, that can obviously be very, very hard, uh, to do, but also, um, it's incredible just how, how sometimes places and location, uh, play such a role in terms of how we mold ourselves, right, and how we see ourselves, uh, yeah, and, like, even specifically, I mean, thinking about 
how there is such a nuance, right? Like, the series is meant to emphasize, like, the nuance within the Latinx identity. And, like, she did that just by even speaking about her own family and, like, how some of her siblings, um, you know, are mixed. And within that, some might not even yeah. speak her language or fully understand it, but that doesn't nece- doesn't necessarily mean that they don't, you know, identify and or are not Latino, right? Like, it... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's so powerful. Because I think, like, for me, it's just so crazy um, how you can look at a family and everyone can look completely different. Um, but, like, their roots are all of the same thing. But then how society interacts with them um, is going to be um, just, like, not the same. And, you know, she was talking about that, how it's interesting to compare the experiences she has with her brothers. Um and yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy because I, I just try and imagine like, okay, look, what are they thinking? Like if they look at their sister and they're mm. like, oh, she's clearly like Latina, yeah. you know? And those experiences compared to the one who like may not look like that and like how his friends um, might treat him as opposed to his brother mm. um, yeah. is all very interesting uh, to note. Um, outside looking in... Um, so like where I grew up, um, I mean, like there were some Latinx folks, um, but not like a, a crazy large um, population. Um, and so I always find myself continually learning about just the difference in experiences. And, and you know, I'll, I'll never know what it feels like. But, you know, for someone to to move to the U.S., then go back and come back here. And so at least, you know, from that conversation, like, seamlessly be able to fit into like whatever this like u.s context is as well as fit into um to her mexican roots mm. I, that, that's a lot that's a lot for someone to like to go through that like i don't have to go through yeah and within even that though i mean paula was like critical of even like her own state compared to others right she was talking about how some don't even have you know, the access to opportunity that she has had in regards to, like, you know, education, growing mm-hmm. up, like, mm-hmm. learning the language, and um, just, like, you know, even, you know, residing within within the States is, like, really, is really incredible, right? Like, to, to think so inwardly about that. Because, right, she, like, did definitely go through a lot, and, like, but even, even within that, and recognizing that, like, there are some people who are less, um, who have less um, yeah. opportunity is pretty, pretty wild. yeah. Yeah, and I I never thought what she would be thinking about was um, she said how there are some I don't say like benefits or or whatever with with being Mexican and American because like you know so oftentimes you know we say it's a stereotype to you look at like a, a Latinx person and you say like oh they're Mexican, um and she's saying like as a Mexican like um it's cool because like yes people identify with like her culture but she recognizes that like. For those who are also in Central America or, or other uh, countries, that means that their stories aren't being heard as much as her own mm-hmm. is, and like organizations like aren't focusing on those com- on those countries as opposed to her own country. So I thought it was really cool for her to bring that up um, because yeah, I, I had just never even thought about that. Right, right. It's really quite remarkable, like all all that she really did touch upon. I mean, everything from you know, the, the idea of, you know, belonging within a family and, like, um, like you were saying, like, the, the intersections even tied within this huge umbrella term that is Latino, right? Like, Central Americans versus mm-hmm. you know, Mexican experience. Um, 
and um, even everything yeah. to like you know labor and how that's been how that's been extracted but how that just you know, sometimes you talk about these big theories right and, and then ideas but not mm-hmm. really knowing that they tie they tie back to a to a personal story too and like um mm-hmm. and to, to how we we interact on our day-to-day and like how we think about a lot of a lot of issues um yeah wow I mean yeah yeah it was it was really it was really great yeah. to, to get yeah. to hear all that you had to say good good and um and now like with that diversity we're gonna hear from some people who identify with um with being afro-latina um and how that has shaped their lives so yeah great What does it mean to be Black and Latina at Duke? Interesting question. Uh, What does it mean to be Black and Latina at Duke? It means uh, having to juggle two identities, having to sort of speak for both in some ways, but it also means having a bigger community because if I had just identified as a Latina, um, just because of Duke's very small, Hispanic population, I don't think I would have found the community um, that the black community at Duke has given me. My mom is actually American, but my my dad is um, from Honduras, and he's like a mix of like Spanish and Mayan ancestry and black ancestry. Um, and it's interesting because since my mom is like lighter skin, I came out like kind of in kind of in the middle, more more on the light side. Um, but my dad's family is very dark skin, um, and it's interesting because I'm just now kind of learning about kind of that. Um, hierarchy of like skin tones within the Latinx community and I kind of realized like being younger how my dad would get treated and how I would get treated and how that's different so my name is Aitza great um what do you identify as I de- I identify as Afro-Latinx or black American depending on the day yeah, absolutely um, so tell me more about your roots and your and your family so my mom's family is Dominican and African American so from the island of Dominica and then my dad's family is Puerto Rican um, and my dad was raised by his grandparents so he was very much raised as a first generation even though technically he was second generation and they were very much into assimilating him to American culture so he didn't grow up speaking his language so I didn't grow up speaking my language yeah, absolutely Ooh. language and what does it mean to be Afro-Latinx at UNC um it's a very interesting thing when I first got here I felt like I didn't fit in with the Latinx community, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily fit in with the black community. But I think as my time went on and I started getting to know more people and just socializing, I found my place here. Um, And I will say, as far as my white counterparts go, it's very interesting. And typically when we talk about, oh, get to know me, where are you from, what's your background, people are always shocked when I say that I am Puerto Rican, mainly because I am black. So it takes them for surprise, but that's one of the things I've come to deal with. Absolutely. 
I mean, speaking on that, isn't it frustrating that people always think that there's a monolith of what it means to be Latina and within that Afro-Latina? Um, what would you say to those people who... Um, I would say there is no monolith, that there are tons of Latinas everywhere and our cultures are different and we're united by many, many things and you can't just look at someone and assume that they are or aren't Latina. You could see someone that has blonde hair and blue eyes and they're Latina or you can see someone like me who has kinky hair and darker skin and we're all, we all come from the same history and background. People may treat us differently, but at the end of the day, that's our culture. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so there's so much um, beauty in and like being Afro-Latina, what are some of those beauties for you? I love, I love the history. I love that a lot of our music comes from people of African descent specifically. Um, that's really prideful for me. I love, I love, well, I love what I can do with my hair. Like one day it could be straight, next thing it could be kinky. And it's just, it, it's very prideful and it, it made me more prideful in my blackness. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to, it's very easy for me to default to saying I'm African American because that is also my heritage. But I've come to the point where I'm like, more people need to know that we exist and know our culture and know that you can be outside the Dominican Republic and know that Afro-Latinas exist. I have friends who are from Panama and Costa Rica and they're also Afro-Latina, so. Yes, absolutely. Um, Great, and then one more question and I'll let you go. This actually hasn't happened to me. It literally just escaped my mind. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Um. Wow. 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 Damn. You know. You know. I'm sad about that. I'm gonna let that go. Uh, I have another question in mind, although it wasn't the one I was gonna ask you. Um, within the current, you know, political climate, the idea of belonging, right, as like Afro Latina, is like always being questioned. Um, how do you assert your belonging? How do you find power in being Afro-Latina? Um, just by my presence and what I do, I plan to go to grad school um, and focus on corporate communication. I eventually want to use my PhD to help black women, so all black women, uh, transition into the corporate world. Um, and I think being an advocate for my Latina brothers and sisters who may be undocumented or who may be immigrants because my family is privileged enough to be Puerto Rican, which although there's a little tricky history there, we are still considered U.S. citizens. So there's not that same worry of, will my family be deported? Will we be sent back? Because for all of its complicated history, Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. So I think advocating for people and just being prideful in myself and carrying myself the way that I was raised to is what I can do to belong because I do belong here. This is the country of my ancestors. Um, there are a lot of beauties found in being both black and Latina. Yeah. What are some of those beauties for you? What are some of those beauties? Uh, how do I say this? I think like an instant connection sometimes. Like just knowing that someone else is Latina and that just always like leads to like great friend beauties. Confidence. I think you have to have like be just because like the media and these communities telling you that like you shouldn't find yourself beautiful um you have to find your own confidence and that can be really great for 
um, like building yourself because I can't I grew up in like a rural town so when I was younger I didn't like some of my features so I like I have bushy eyebrows um, and I didn't like that because I got bullied for that uh, I have really high cheekbones which I was I didn't think negatively of but I was just kind of like why are they different from everyone else's um, but then when I was 10 I went to Honduras for the first time and I met a lot of like the women in my family and they had the same features so that was really nice to see because like I, I consider like my abuela and my tia is really beautiful so to see like that on someone I consider beautiful was it was really nice Ah, Salvaiza. You're so great. <laughs> and yeah, it was for me listening, like hearing about like, what it is like to be um, Afro Latina is always so interesting. And, you know, throughout this three part series, uh, you're going to hear a lot more about it. So we're not going to go into crazy depth on this one. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing how just how people have to grapple with their identity and how, you know, she's talking about those white people who are like always like so surprised um, that she's she's Puerto, Puerto Rican. Um, I think it just speaks to to how, you know, like how we all perceive identities and, and how um, you can feel like um, in ways you're bounded by how others perceive you. Um, and yeah, I just want to know like, what are your thoughts on that on um, perception, um, perception of identity, Eliza? Yeah, no, I I agree, Chandler. It's it's so frustrating when when one is very limited by um, something no more than the assumption that others uh, play on us, and uh, more so, it's it's what's really funny about that too is like more so those assumptions are guided by this like very dominant narrative. Um, that's practiced more often by the dominant group, you know, and then we just have to sort of mold ourselves accordingly, uh, which is very constricting. So I, I really appreciated her challenging, challenging that notion of, you know, that, yeah, they're, they're, when you think of Latina, you know, don't think of, don't think of, you know, uh, just like one idea, but know that there, that there's a wide array of Latinas, Afro-Latinas, you know, there's a history there. And it's, it's really amazing how she touched touched on that. History. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, <Great>. Okay, <laughs> so let's get back to it. My name is Claudia Yatskin. Perfect. What do you identify as? I am a Latina. Okay. Yes. Talk to me about that term. What does that mean to you? So for me, being a Latina is obviously coming from a Hispanic and country. Um, I'm, my parents are Dominican. I live my life just trying to embrace my culture and being myself, being my loud self, yeah. my curly hair and things like that. So just pretty much embracing my culture and making sure I eat my food, my Dominican food, my platano, <laughs> and I share that with the world. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Um, um, but I also have like a Jewish heritage, which is really interesting. So trying to f 
it's a little complicated it's like a jewish latina like what how does that happen like how does that even work so my mom is dominican um but it's really interesting because like her grandfather i mean her dad is dominican but my grandma's panamanian and spanish so even again like i'm not even completely dominican like what is a dominican is even like a, a perfect question um and then my dad's side um immigrated from poland during the hitler's time and immigrated to the Dominican Republic because they opened their doors for refugees. Um, and one of my fa my family member, my grandma, was like one that got a visa and was able to enter the country and stay there and establish um, that. So, yeah, and I'm from Miami. So uh, my parents um, immigrated to Miami to work, to finish their education, and to be able to get um, their licensing licensure mm -hmm. um, in the United States. I haven't met a lot of Hispanic Jews. It, it's no one really knows about it, so it's just trying to bring um, awareness to that and to those issues and just identity issues and things like that. But you just have to embrace yourself and like not be afraid to show it. Like again, with the Dominican culture, we're Caribbean, so we're loud and like quote unquote mal hablado, like mm. sp speak badly. So, yeah. You know what I mean? So. But we're not, obviously, you know. Yeah. But um, so it's just embracing yourself and not letting people question you. Or, oh, why do you speak that way? Why do you talk with an accent? Like, why we say these things, you know? Um, so it's just beauty is embracing yourself. Absolutely. It's accepting your hair, accepting your skin color. Like, as people tell me, oh, you're Dominican, you're so white. I'm like, you can be white and Dominican. You can be white and Latina. Like, it, it, there's no it there's no one type of person in these countries we come from all over the world we've had like african slaves we've had the spaniards come we've had like everyone come like even um, from the middle east like there's people again from all over the world so again it's embracing your beauty because there isn't one type of beauty i moved to north carolina when i was 13 or no when i was a sophomore in high school i don't know what age that was probably 15 or 16 um and it changed me being here and not like again being questioned and that's why i say like don't be afraid to be questioned like don't be afraid to like forget about those questions because i was questioned and i was brought down and i was like oh you're so loud so i started being quiet like oh you've talked with an accent and i was like uh okay so i stopped talking with my accent um so again it's just being yourself and standing your ground and like you belong here this country was founded by immigrants made for immigrants for people that didn't belong where they were you know and it's sad to see that they think that we quote unquote don't belong like they immigrated too like the white population immigrated they weren't here the native americans were here you know and that just makes me angry that they don't see that they don't want to understand that just because it's happening at different times you know so it's just they need to reevaluate and look at history because they're not looking at it. Yeah. And they don't understand it and they don't see it. Like, I, it's just, yes. <laughs> Ah, oh, I love her. Ah, <laughs> oh, she has so much energy. You can feel it. Yes, 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 yes. So tell me, like, I don't know, like, talking to her, like, how did you feel? What was it like? What stuck out to you? Yeah, Cloud Claudia just has uh, so much energy. She feels a lot when she speaks. Uh, and 
she, I mean, right, like, she even talks about, like, how there's sometimes an erasure of, you know, what it is to be both Latinx and, and, like, Jewish, like, the community um, is something that people very often don't even think about, right, is, like, that, that intermingling of culture that Mm -hmm. happens sometimes. Um, Yeah, Claudia is, um, it's, it's funny because she talks about a theme and topic that I think happens a lot sometimes within Latinx communities is the concept of enoughness, right? Like, am I enough of this? Am I enough of that? That's so often brought on by others asking us questions, like questioning us always. Like, uh, uh, you speak with an accent, so you stop, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. um, And I'll say just like, you know, from my perspective, obviously in different situations, but that enoughness, like, comes in in the black community as well because I remember you know just like growing up and like Chandler like oh my gosh like you talk so white like you know like Oreo Mm. blah 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 um and it's just like well who are you to who are you to say what it is to to be black like to be like my identity like I am who I am and like period like that's that's all there is to that story um and yeah like you thinking that you can put your thoughts on me and um, it gets to be a lot because it does take a toll on people. And like those kids, like they were annoying, but like they had an impact and like, it's, it's great like to grow and like to understand like, you know, like their words don't mean much, but for, for the next generation, for whoever, like having to deal with that is always a lot. Definitely. And like, I sometimes have to make sure you know, and check myself too, Chandler, because sometimes like, you know, language, we don't, the dangerous things, we sometimes we don't take it too seriously, right? Like, so we're like, oh, words are just words. And like, that question is just a question. Um, but at times that question uh, can allow someone to change a certain part of themselves that is, plays such a role in, in you know, in their, you know, in their family, it's influenced by like, mm-hmm. what they've lived through, what they've gone through. So I totally agree, Chandler. Honestly, like I've had a similar experience and like I think I still do like even here at Duke like being told that I don't speak in the way that I look right like I'm perceived very differently and so as a result I should speak differently too there's so many Mm -hmm. constrictions placed on us sometimes and like it's hard trying to work through those you know Chan it's like a tough thing yeah yeah like I'm still doing it (laughs) exactly exactly oh yes 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 that just made me so happy um and we have more. We have um, a little bit from that group of four that you'll hear. And then one last story. Um, so here you go. Um, so what do you think about the idea that many people think that there's only one way to be Latino? No, there's like a lot of different ways to be Latino. I mean, every, like everyone is a different version of a Latino. I'm, um, I don't know, everyone feels kind of, I think they have this idea of what it means to be Latina in their head. And when you don't fit it, fit it they'll like tell you you're not enough or what's that and the other. I don't know. I guess I would just say to them that like, there's no one way to be Latinx. And like, by saying that there is, you're really doing a disservice to Latinx people because we come from all different countries, all different races, all different backgrounds and cultures, and um, it's just frustrating to hear that, yeah. to be simple. Being a Latina is as diverse as, 
I guess just being a human being, like every individual is different and everyone has different stories to contribute to that culture. Um, and I guess that does make it kind of hard in the sense of finding out where you belong and like what group you belong to, that you belong wherever you feel most comfortable and wherever you feel you can contribute. The most. Uh, but like just being who you are is in itself a revolution, especially at a time like this. So I think just being as much of yourself and trying to claim your identities as fully as you can um, and do try to like put your identity into action. I don't know how to say this really, but yeah, do do try to do like as much as possible without um, like losing yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like do, do a lot of self-care, but also like try to go out there and speak up for yourself because it does affect us in a personal way, in a way that it does on others. Yeah. My name is Carlos Barrero Castello. Hey. Um, okay, so first question, what do you identify as? Um, so I would definitely say Latino, um, and then like follow up like Bolivian. I was born in Bolivia, um, I lived there until I was four years old and then we moved here, um, we've got a ton of family, um, like all my dad's family essentially lives in South Carolina where I'm from, all my mom's family is still back in Bolivia, we visit pretty often, um, I don't know, it's big, it's fun, it's loud, I love it. Yes, so why Latino, what does that term mean to you? Um, so Latino is more like geographic, right? It describes where you're from rather than who colonized you. Um, so like, I don't know, Hispanic is always like a little politically charged and always, I think like, in terms of like how legislation is going right now, everything is very charged towards like Hispanic people and like undocumented people or whatever, right? And it's like, I don't know, Latino, I think feels like a little step back and also the way you say Latino right like you have to be Latino to say Latino properly Mm, so yes so what is what is Latino to you it's pretty much all I am you know like like how can you separate who you are from like how can you separate like your culture like your ethnicity like how can you separate all that from like who you are as a person um I don't know, you know, it's like very like my favorite foods are, you know, Latin foods, like my favorite, like my favorite music, like when I like want to feel closer to home, like, you know, I blast like Celia Cruz or something, like it's like my mom, I don't know, being Latino, um, it's a lot. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, What does it mean to be Latino at Duke? That's a harder one. Um, I think being Latino at Duke is a little hard because being Latino anywhere is a little hard, right? Because it's like... It's an all-encompassing term that bridges, like, tons of nationalities and cultures and, like, people. And you're kind of bound by a common language, maybe, is really about it, almost. Um, So I think, like, at Duke, that's um, almost magnified. Because I feel like when you ask about, like, I don't know, like, Latinidad at Duke, I feel like I don't even know if we have something super cohesive, super like everyone like fits in always. And I don't really know like, is there a way to fix that? Is there a way to like change that? And then even like further, like just being who you are like at Duke is like hard because like you're surrounded by like these examples of like very rich, like very like wealthy, like 
the prototypical like white dream, right? So it's like, like what does that mean for me to be, like to exist here? Like like I said, it's an, a term that encompasses so many different like cultures, so many different like people. So like the idea that like there's one way to be Latino, like it seems a little comical to me because it's like saying like, what is it, like 33 countries or something or, like Spanish speaking and like, is that even the definition for being Latino? Like, so there's so many like layers on that that I feel like trying to make it monolithic is way too reductive. Um, I don't know, I just don't think it's very true. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to those who are having struggle finding power and identifying as Latino? Welcome to the club. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, that's a hard question. I think the biggest thing is expose yourself to more Latinos. Like, there's power in who we are, and there's power in a group of people that, like, share many of, like, your struggles and, like, that understand your identity. Um, be friends with them. Like, learn from them. Like, grow with them. So in terms of, like, the current, you know, climate, there's the idea of belonging has been brought up. Mm -hmm. How do you say that one can assert one's belonging when it's been continuously doubted? I think... I think in belonging and in consciously thinking I belong and in like challenging the idea that you don't belong is probably the strongest thing you can do and just of affirmation like you know like cognitive like linguistic like just say like this is my land too and I belong here like and proving that like you know getting involved getting active like showing up like like talk to your representatives like be involved in like local communities be involved in national communities like be involved with your people like like if you like if you believe you belong like no one can like people can tell you you don't but like does it really matter at that point yes absolutely anything else you'd like to add um we're really awesome and yeah. we can do amazing things so that was carlos uh speaking about his identity, identifying as Latino, I mean, even how he, you know, differentiated Latino and Hispanic is something that I personally resonated with, um, because I remember growing up, right, I remember growing up and I had uh, my cousin, my cousin would say how he, if anything, wanted to be called Hispanic, and he was like 10, 12 max, um, and I remember being like, why, like, no, Latino, like, Latino is like who you are, you know, and he was like, um, I don't know. I don't like it. I would prefer if, if like, you know, someone's going to call me by like, you know, my race or ethnicity, I want someone to call me Hispanic because it sounds nicer. It sounds prettier. Um, and it's mm. only because it can be said by like everyone, especially, you know, like, you know, especially white folks. Like it's like considered to be more of a cleaner rather than mm -hmm. Latino is like, is assumed to be like, even the fact that like my cousin was so young, like truly like does not has does not fully has not fully really thought about his identity um it just knows that like latino something about it is such a dirty word that i think identifying as latino is like within itself like something that that some people take power in however you know hispanic too is like there's so much to think through but even calling yourself hispanic you know there's nothing wrong with that either but yeah i mean it's funny it's yeah funny. yeah and like no, it's just like, yeah, like you were saying before, language is so powerful because like, uh, thinking back to little young Chandler, I didn't know much about <laughs> much, but like, 
seeing like um latinx people i'm like oh they're spanish but it's like no like that's not it and then like oh hispanic maybe question mark but like also like there's so much behind that and like he was saying it's a very politically charged word and so i think you know like all of us when we're looking at other communities really obviously like not wanting to like tiptoe on like eggshells but like also understanding that the little things are very important so even just like how you address someone and identify them um I know for me like the difference between like black and african-american like before like you know like especially like white people and like people in general like oh like yo african-american um say it because it, it sounds more polite or or politically correct and obviously there's that same complexity behind like how you want to identify but like there are people who are not African-American because there are people who, like, don't know their roots. Like, are are we... Is my ancestry from Africa or is it from the islands or is it from somewhere else? Um, because you have people who actually, like, are, you know, like, second-generation um, African um, people who are actually African-American. Whereas, like, I'd say I identify as being black because, like, my family is... Or my dad's side is from this land, like... We don't know where his roots are. Like, I can't say I'm African-American. I am, I'm black and I'm Caribbean. Um, but, yeah, so language is, is so important um, in identity. Definitely. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, even how he ended things by, by saying, like, if you say you are, then you are. There's power in saying it. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you so much. This is... The end of the first of three. Whoop, whoop. Um, we have some more to come. Um, next, next um, tomorrow is going to be focused on complexity. So we talked a lot about diversity, about where different people are from, and we're going to go further into the complexity behind identity and what that means to people and people who are grappling with, with that. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Yay. Huh. Um, okay, and before we leave, just want to make sure we thank everyone who made this possible. Um, Amazing Beats by Andre Mego, um, sampling from Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. Yes, and we'd also like to thank everyone that was featured in the podcast who allowed us to interview them and take some time to get the photos taken. Uh, Paula, Claudia, Aitza. Carlos, Maria, Juan Pablo, Jessica, and Lizette. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thank you. Thanks, Eliza, for interviewing everyone. Uh, thanks, Chandler, for creating this podcast and doing all of the editing and sifting through. <laughs> so much work that was put into this. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been involved. Join us next time. <laughs> yes, see ya.